Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war show me a medical professional who is still pushing childhood vaccines, and I'll show you one who has not done any independent research. The bottom line, and we will go into more detail in this episode, but unvaccinated children have better outcomes, are healthier, and have less chronic disease than their vaccinated peers. The evidence is compelling if you would only take the time to look. Today, we are up to an autism rate of 1 in 36. And with the addition of the COVID jabs, along with their never-ending boosters, we are nearing 100 doses of vaccines on the childhood schedule. It's also important to note that despite a barrage of propaganda to the contrary, there is no evidence of vaccines significantly reducing mortality from any disease. For that, we have clean water systems to thank. I implore all of you to please do your own independent research. Definitely don't rely on the physicians who are shamefully taking financial incentives to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to push these on your children. I was awakened post-COVID to what was happening and what has been happening for far too long. It was a presentation given at a Dr. Terry and Stu Warner Wellness Parenting Revolution event out in Nashville, Tennessee on vaxxed versus unvaxxed outcomes in children that finally peeled my eyes wide open. I did not come into this fight anti-vax, but I sure am leaving that way. And it is thanks in part to the hard work and dedication of my guest for today's show. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. And before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can submit those to any of the hosts by sending them directly to us at nurses at americaoutloud.com. We would love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. Joining me today is Dr. Brian Hooker. He is the Chief Scientific Officer at Children's Health Defense, an organization committed to the best health for children in the U.S. and worldwide. He is also a former professor of biology at Simpson University in Redding, California, where he specialized in microbiology and biotechnology. In 1985, Dr. Hooker earned his Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering from California State Polytechnic University. He earned his Master's of Science degree in 1988 and his doctorate in 1990, both in biochemical engineering from Washington State University. Brian Hooker has many accomplishments to his credit, including being a co-inventor for five patents, recipient of the Patel Entrepreneurial Award in 2001, and a Federal Laboratory Consortium Recognition Award in 1999 for his work on reactive transport in three dimensions. 
The breadth of Dr. Hooker's over 70 science and engineering papers have been published in internationally recognized peer-reviewed journals. Dr. Hooker has been active in vaccine safety since 2001 and has a 25-year-old son with autism. In 2013 and 2014, Dr. Hooker worked with CDC whistleblower Dr. William Thompson to expose fraud and corruption within vaccine safety research in the CDC, which led to the release of over 10,000 pages of documents. Most recently, he co-authored the brand new book, Vax, Unvax, Let the Science Speak with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Dr. Brian Hooker, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Kimberly. It's a pleasure to be able to be on your show. Gosh, I've wanted to have you for really, I've wanted to have you on for quite some time. I know you're so busy and have an incredibly busy schedule. So I'm just very thankful for you to take the time uh, to be here with me. Oh, you're Definitely. very welcome. No, no, it's, it's, uh, it's always good to make time for you. And, and I love your story. I didn't realize uh, that you were sort of a post-COVIDian, mm-hmm. but um, boy, you're... Yeah. You're, you're, you're a force of nature. You're, you're making up for time with effort. That's for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You know, I was very allopathically trained. Um, I came into this and I was never, you know, I was always pro-vaccine my entire life in nursing career. I would not say I was militantly pro-vaccine. I've always believed in, in choice. Um, but, you know, I would encourage vaccines because, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that the only education that nurses receive on vaccines is safe, effective, and necessary. That's about the extent of it. Um, but we're very conditioned to believe that this is, you know, this is what saves lives and not to question it and, and just to push it. And it was your presentation, you, you and uh, Neil Miller, your presentation in Nashville that really, really opened my eyes. And because that evidence, when you look at it, it's compelling. The instance... The instance yeah, yeah. of autism, for example, um, when you look at it among the unvaccinated, am I wrong to say it's virtually zero? You know, in most studies that I have seen where they've compared the childhood vaccination schedule for those that are fully vaccinated, those who are fully unvaccinated, there's either zero or there's so few autism cases that it's nigh unto impossible to do statistics on it because wow. you, can't, you can't do statistics on a zero. It, right. You know, that that's mathematic impossibility. And so, yeah, it's so extremely compelling. And when, you know, what I've seen over and over again in the studies that, that I've completed with Neil Miller and also others, individual studies, is that um, if you compare vaccinated to unvaccinated children, the rate of autism is at least five times higher. That is incredible. And just hearing that and seeing the data that you presented in that presentation, I mean, it was just eye-opening to me. I couldn't believe it. So that is what really got me going down the rabbit hole and starting to really dig in and, and, and see this. Because I can remember back in, I think it was maybe the late 90s or early 2000s when, they, when Andrew Wakefield started talking about the link between um, the MMR vaccine and autism. And I remember hearing about it. And then I just remember hearing, oh, that was debunked. And I never thought about it again. You know, I just accepted that, oh, they, they looked into it and, and they found no link. And that's the problem, I think, is that we all feel like that, you know, vaccines was not my area of expertise, but I always felt that those in the industry were doing their due diligence and, you know, looking after the safety and the efficacy of these vaccines. But come to find out that just doesn't happen. 
No, it doesn't. You're you're absolutely right. You know, when when the uh, vaccination schedule really expanded, that was after the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. Then that that act erected a liability shield uh, for vaccine manufacturers against vaccine injuries. And that shield has been upheld in court. It was upheld in 2011. In fact, it was even strengthened further. Um, and so vaccine manufacturers really expanded the number of vaccines that were put, you know, put through FDA approval and also did not do long-term safety studies, nor did they look at safety studies involving a true placebo control, a true like a saline shot that would be given to a control group. And then uh, compared to the experimental group that actually got the vaccine, it seemed like all that went by the wayside and long-term safety, you know, in these vaccine trials was non-existent. Yeah, and that I just never realized, and I, I, and you know, I always say like shame on me that, and shame on so many of us that just didn't didn't bother to look because we we get lazy, we get complacent, we think that other people are doing it. And that's that's not the case. I've been in healthcare for 26 years, and I tell people all the time now, you know, please don't think that these physicians are doing their own independent research because, for the most part, they are not. They are not, and it's not even. I won't say that for every physician, but you know, for the most part, they just don't have the ability. The system, the way that it's designed, doesn't allow them to to have time to be able to do this type of independent research. For the most part, they're taking whatever is handed down from the CDC, the AMA, the FDA, all of that, and they just parrot it to their patients and assume, much like I did, that this is the most um, up-to-date and safe and most effective information to be giving to our patients, and that's simply not true. No, it is not. It's not true. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the medical journals are so censored these days you, you know it's interesting um i you know you hear the name andy wakefield and you usually hear the name debunked in front of it to the point where you think that andy's first name is actually debunked that, <laughs> yeah. that happened to me yeah uh you know around the mmr vaccine uh in 2014 uh with the cdc whistleblower william thompson and, you know, I published a scientific paper reanalyzing data showing the MMR was associated with autism incidents, especially when it was given on time. The paper was unfortunately very dubiously retracted from the journal where it was submitted. And then the, the news story in that was not the CDC whistleblower. The news story was about the debunked scientist, Brian Hooker. And I got so sick of that word. I got yeah. so yeah. sick of Word. You know, I did ultimately republish that information in 2018, but um, you, you know, it's it's odd because this sort of the medical establishment has such um, a fierce stronghold for these uh, journals that it's very very difficult to get accurate, honest science, especially about vaccine safety, published. Yeah, I can't even look at these journals anymore. I I just I I just question everything. Everything post COVID is really my eyes have been peeled wide open, and I don't feel like there's any good source of information. So, what does someone do? What, what, I always point to you know Children's Health Defense is a great resource, fantastic resource. And let's talk a little bit about that. You are chief scientific officer over there at CHD. How long have you been doing that? I've been chief scientific officer for um, about two years. 
at Children's Health Defense, a little longer than two years. And then also I've been affiliated with Children's Health Defense. I've been a board member and um, served sort of in a, as a consulting and a consultant capacity before then, since about um, um, since about uh, 2017. So I, it's been a, a long term commitment. It's a labor of love. And I love, love, love working uh, with Robert F. Kennedy Jr., what he and so many of others have established. Yeah, it's a fantastic organization. They've been so supportive of me and the work that we've done at Nurse Freedom Network and now Remnant Nursing. So I can't say enough wonderful things um, about Children's Health Defense and all that they're doing to to protect these children. Um, but can you share some insights from your book, your new book? It's Vax Unvax. Let the science speak. But what were some of the the key findings and the research that you you feel like are crucial for the public to become aware of? Well, the first um, the first chapter is sort of an introduction, sort of a prologue to why uh, uh, Mr. Kennedy and I uh, started this endeavor in the first place. And then when we get into chapter two, we look at comparisons of, of fully unvaccinated children versus fully vaccinated children using the CDC schedule. And boy, what a difference. What a difference in health. You look at things like asthma, you look at things like um, other chronic ailments, uh, like neurodevelopmental disorders, and the vaccinated are clearly much, much more susceptible to get these diagnoses. Asthma really jumps off the chart. In some instances, the rates of autism and fully vaccinated are about four to five times higher than those children who are fully unvaccinated. And asthma is a huge problem in the United States. It affects about one in 10 children. And so, you know, this is this is a really big deal. And then and then I thought, okay, well, you know, chronic diseases. Yeah, we will see an effect. But I wasn't sure about infectious diseases. But it turns out that vaccinated children get way more ear infections. Okay, about four times as many ear infections, about four times the incidence of pneumonia and then other respiratory infections as well you know, again, across the board, about four to five times higher when you look at vaccinated children uh, versus their unvaccinated counterparts. And to me, that really blew me away because my son was fully vaccinated up until 15 months of age. Mm -hmm. And he was really a walking ear infection. He always struggled with ear infections. And yet these, you know, so seeing that unvaccinated children, some who had never been diagnosed with an ear infection ever, you know, was quite astounding to me. Um, and in addition to that, we, uh, we saw that um, seasonal allergies, especially nasal allergies, uh, jumped off the chart. One, chart, one study showed that nasal allergies were th- had 30 times higher incidence in vaccinated kids versus mm-hmm. unvaccinated kids. And so, you know, very, very powerful. Other things that you wouldn't um, consider regarding vaccines, ADD, ADHD, um, in one study that I'm thinking of, 20 times higher levels of ADD, ADHD in the fully vaccinated children versus the unvaccinated children. And it just over and over and over again, it seemed like whether whatever chronic disorder and whatever infectious disease besides those that you're protecting for, the unvaccinated children were healthier. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've really come to this conclusion that 
I feel like we are all vaccine injured on some level. And many of us maybe have just never connected the dots. I mean, I was fully vaccinated um, as a child. My son had received all of his vaccines. And I can remember back, I've been in healthcare for 26 years. I came in, I was at age 19. And I can remember going in for my three series Hep B that is required for you to work in uh, the hospitals. So I got my three series Hep B and within six months of getting that series, I started developing all of these autoimmune conditions. I developed psoriasis, I developed psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and over and over again, all through these years, I've been dealing with this. And I never really thought about it until maybe this year, as I'm starting to do all of this, I started thinking about the timing of it. And, And it seems to me that that was the likely cause. And I just never connected the dots. And I think that's probably true for so many people. If we think about the instance of, as you said, asthma, ADHD, uh, or the chronic illnesses that we have, things like uh, the food intolerances and allergies have really gone off the charts. And when we think about all of these things, you know, and it's, it's like we were just conditioned to accept them as just normal part of life, but it doesn't have to be this way. And I'm, I'm a little surprised, very disturbed that the government doesn't seem to want to do this study. Why is that? Do you think? Well, that's a really interesting question. And that that's almost, you know, relates to the genesis of this book. Um, you know, those of us that have been around for a, a while, I've, I've been in this fight for over 20 years now, since my son's vaccine injury in 1999. And um, we've wanted the government to do a true comparison of vaccinated children versus unvaccinated children. We've called for it for years and years. And in fact, in 2013, the prestigious Institute of Medicine, who was contracted by the CDC to look to look at the vaccination schedule, came to the same conclusion, like this is understudied. This needs to be, there need to be more studies to look at the overall outcomes of health of vaccinated children versus unvaccinated children, that the, that the vaccine schedule as it existed then and even as it exists today is completely understudied. And so Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and uh, he was joined along with Del Bigtree, uh, Aaron Seary, and um, Lynn Redwood, um, all met in 2017 with Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins at the National Institutes of Health, right there in Francis Collins' executive office. And the reason for the meeting was to ask the government to do vax on vax studies, you know, and, and by law, the government is supposed to continuously improved by the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, they're supposed to continuously improve vaccine safety and then report this back to Congress every two years, which they've never done. But when asked if uh, the government had ever done vax on vax studies, of course, Dr. Fauci swore up and down, yes, yes, we've done these, we've done these. And they wheeled in carts that had all these scientific papers and Fauci was rifling through these carts of papers and he couldn't find one vax on vax study, could not find. And finally he was exasperated and said, um, I'll email them to you. And of course the, you know, the team of, of uh, Kennedy and his cohorts never heard from Dr. Fauci again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bobby doesn't really take no for an answer. Yeah. And so what happened then was he contacted me in 2019. And in 2019, he said, let's find if there are any vax on vax studies hiding in plain sight 
on in the National Library of Medicine at you know on, at the website PubMed primarily. There are other there are other studies featured in the book that are not indexed on PubMed. But um, I started to look for these studies and I thought, oh, I might find a few. But to, um, you know, and and I was distilling down these studies to so he could make Instagram posts about each study and feature each study in Instagram. And sixty studies later, it's two thousand twenty one. And we continued to do these Instagram, you know, blasting these out on his Instagram account. And he was deplatformed. He was taken down from Instagram and Facebook. And we said, well, you know, um, let's make this into a book. You know, Bobby, Bobby and I looked at each other and it's like we had the epiphany together. This is a book. This needs to be published. So I continued to do the research and Bobby and I both looked and looked and looked, especially through the COVID-19 era for more vaccine back studies. And finally, now we're published in 2023. You know, we, we, we don't know what we don't know, but when we know better, we are called upon to do better. And that's why I'm working so diligently now to try to get the word out there, get people informed and really work. And, and, you know, I've decided I want to dedicate the rest of my life and career to uh, helping the vaccine injured because so many of the medical community has really turned their back um, on them. And I know you've experienced this. I'm certain you've experienced this yourself with your, your own son, um, that the gaslighting and, and all of that. And it's something that this is like an act of penance for me right now is, is moving forward and trying to write what I, I feel has been a wrong for so many years. Wow. Well, you are only responsible, Kimberly, for the light that you walk in. Yeah. And you're wa- the light that you're walking in right now is such a bright light. And and I, I'm so appreciative of what you're doing every day, especially the father of a vaccine injured child. I mean, you know, working working with individuals who are vaccine injured and this and especially, you know, the myriad of injury, myriad injuries that are um associated with a COVID-19 shot. We need all hands on deck. We need more people like you who are not afraid to roll up their sleeves. And and you can't treat somebody without really knowing what caused the injury in the first place. It is really key that you know what that is. And so, you know, if you deny vaccine injury in the first place, then you're basically cutting off the legs of the medical professional, medical profession to give these individuals any hope of any help. Right. And there's so many that they just they don't know what causes these problems. Actually, I interviewed um, Tim McAdams. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I think you probably are, because I think you guys featured him on CHD. Um, He was a vaccine injured pilot and he was mandated, you know, to get the vaccine. And we were talking. He ended up having uh, two cerebellar strokes, which are very rare. and he was a very, very healthy individual prior to that. So he had these two strokes and they, they told him, his doctor said, you know, we don't know what caused this. But when he asked, could it have potentially been the vaccine? They immediately said no. So we don't know what caused it, but we know it wasn't this. Oh my goodness. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, mm-hmm. um, you know, we know that um, we don't know what caused your son's autism, but we're sure shooting then it's mm-hmm. not the vaccine. The vaccines are, you know, they 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 get a pass. And again, magical thinking, magical thinking that um, somehow, you know, you want something to be true. And I think a lot of people are wholly invested in that. And they've given so many vaccines through their, their careers. It takes real courage to take a look at what you've done and saying, yeah, I could have caused iatrogenic harm. Yeah. And so that's what I appreciate about your own testimony, Kimberly, is that 
Um, you know, you have taken that hard look and you have continuously improved. You are walking in the light that, that you're in. And there are many, many others like you, many, many other people who have who have really opened their eyes, people like Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Paul Merrick, um, who have really, you know, um, come to the forefront and are, are not accepting that the earth is resting on turtles anymore. Right. Exactly. And I think if there is a silver lining to COVID, Brian, it is that, that's it. That is it. That is, you know, through this, the government, uh, the captured government agencies, big pharma, they've really overplayed their hand. They have really done that this time. And I think that through that, so many of us, as you mentioned, have really been awakened to what's been going on for just far too long now. And, and so to me, that's, if there is a silver lining, it is that, but I can't imagine what it's been like. I'm frustrated. I've been in this fight in this space for just three years, right? And yeah. I am so frustrated. I am so frustrated when people won't listen to me. But what about people like yourself? You know, people who have been out here blazing trails for decades and people are ignoring you and they're gaslighting you and, you know, uh, you know, discrediting you and your the incredible work you've done. I cannot imagine what it's like to be in the space for that long and deal with just the blatant ignorance of the public and of medical professionals who just refuse to take a closer look when it's all right there. Exactly. And you know, what's really important is, is that I'm really, really strongly bonded to my tribe. Yeah. And, and I think that there's really real support in numbers of individual like-minded individuals. I love going to conferences and, you know, and speaking engagements and things like that, because you're surrounded by your tribe and you're really filled up by that. I, I would say that that's one of the biggest sustaining forces over, you know, the 20 some odd years that I've been doing this is, is that, you know, I see other pioneers and, and quite honestly, I'm not licensed. I'm not a licensed medical professional. I, I can't, I won't lose my license if I speak out. Right. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I've been able to do this as long as I have. And I've, I've actually been affiliated with a university that is that honors academic freedom and has allowed me to do this research, uh, you know, for the past 13 years. And so I've been very, very fortunate in my ability to do research, actually to do education and advocacy at the same time. And but but I see others counting the costs. That are there, you know, people like Dr. Paul Thomas, uh, who had his license suspended in the state of Oregon. Now, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, uh, in I believe in Ohio, um, and and so many of them that have really, really, you know, you lay your career down the line, and, and I think you're no exception to that as well, um, be, because you know, because of the license, the medical professionals have so much to lose in doing this, and my hat is really off to them and to you as well. Thank you. And I think, you know, this is, this is what, and I've been saying from the beginning, you know, I, I didn't want to lose my license. That's always been a concern, but you know what, at this point, I tell them all the time, you can have my license. I mean, if the only way that I can continue to be a nurse is by, you know, lying to my patients, by being silenced into submission, watching patients die with what was happening, what I was seeing firsthand in the hospitals. I mean, I was watching my patients be systematically murdered for profit. When we talk about the remdesivir and all of the, the insanity, you know, um, intubating patients, not because they were in distress, but in order to contain a virus, um, which it was the most egregious thing I had ever 
ever witnessed in my 26 years in healthcare is, is performing a risky medical intervention on a patient and not to their benefit, but to protect the healthcare staff. I've never in my life heard of such absurdities and um, to, to be witness to that. And I, I you know, I, I say take my license because I will not be a party to that. Um, but what we need to do, you know, moving forward, I, and alongside of Nurse Freedom Network, I formed a private membership association through Remnant Nursing. And through that, we try to create opportunities for nurses to break away from this broken and oppressive system. Um, because going forward, we, we, this is this is how they control us, right? They control us through our licensure, through our certifications. You know, they, you get you get board certified, and then they want to kind of dangle that in front of you to keep you in line. And we've got to move past that. You know, I I am of the firm belief, and I don't know where you stand with the system overall as a whole. I would like it to see it all burn to the ground, but we've got to be able to build up something alongside of it that's going to be able to focus on really caring for patients and and creating this environment where all of us, you know, nurses, doctors, healthcare workers can thrive and do what we were called to do, and that's care for people and keep them healthy, keep them well, keep them out of the hospital, get on the the, the side of prevention, um, you know, instead of being behind the eight ball. And I talk about this often that as an ICU nurse, I was very, very depressed all the time because everything that I would see coming through those doors was pretty much preventable with lifestyle modifications, but it's not something that we talk about. We just go just directly to the prescription pad every time. No, I really appreciate that. And I have a lot of hope for the future for people because of people like you and others who are creating new systems to replace the old systems. The old systems have not worked. Yeah. Obviously, you know, a, a, a pill for every ill is not the way to go. And, you know, lifestyle management, again, you know, I, I, I have, I have an integrated physician as my own lifestyle coach now that I'm, you know, and I'm on my own sort of weight loss journey. And so I'm very, very excited, you know, that those individuals are out there and that, um, that new systems are being put in place to replace the old systems. And, and to me, that's a part of the solution. One of the things that's difficult in, in, in doing vaccine safety science is, is that you're always looking at the negative. I'm always looking at the adverse event and I'm trying to show and trying to uh, uh, tease out whether an adverse event is related to a vaccine and establish that, you know, beyond a statistically significant shadow of a doubt. And so, but it's really, you know, when you look at these studies, you, you know, I, there were some days I really had to pick myself up off the floor because of the carnage that I was seeing from the current medical system. But I'm so encouraged when new systems are put in place and people like you, uh, uh, people like the FLCCC.net, you know, um, uh, other organizations, even Children's Health Defense that are that are uh, putting systems in place to replace. So, so people have places to go where, you know, if, if they don't buy into, you know, this sort of, allopathic construct that we've been following for years and years. Yeah, it's to me, it's the only way forward. And it's not just in healthcare, it's going to have to happen across all aspects of society. I think our educational system, our financial system, all of it, we really need to begin to build a new 
America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off of your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and this is This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I've been talking with Dr. Brian Hooker, author of Vax, Unvax, Let the Science Speak. Let's jump right back in. Dr. Hooker, thanks again for being here with me today. Oh, it's totally my pleasure, and and I'm, I'm so inspired by your story and what you're doing as well, Kimberly. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been quite the journey, and, you know, as a nurse, it, to me, it's it's all about standing in the gap 
for my patients. I take that very seriously. I mean, for, for many people, we are their last line of defense. If we think about the third uh, leading cause of death in this country, it's preventable medical error, right? So it is so important for nurses. We cannot raise up a culture of nurses who are too afraid to question the authority uh, or the uh, orders of doctors. We've got to be able to have that not that level of knowledge, education, and the backbone to take a stand and, and advocate for our patients. And, you know, one thing I really want to talk about, because if, when we start talking about our patients and their vulnerabilities, some of the most vulnerable populations I felt were being targeted during uh, COVID. We were starting to talk about vaccinating pregnant women with an untested vaccine. This is something we've never done. We do not do this with this population. We've never done it. I've worked in OB. We don't allow these women to eat deli meat. We don't allow them to change a litter box when they're pregnant. But all of a sudden, we are going to have them get this untested uh, vaccine and just hope for the best. What are your thoughts on that? It's It, it, it was chilling um, that I knew that looking at the uh, clinical trial data for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, that they worked very, very hard to exclude pregnant women yeah. and women who became pregnant during the clinical trial um, because they did not they they did not want to test that population. But yet, as soon as the vaccine was rolled out, then you know it seemed like. Uh, the, the frontline healthcare workers, yes, they said, yes, if you're pregnant, you should get the vaccine. And, you know, there were very, very faulty studies done by the CDC, specifically by uh, the head of the immunization safety office. His name is uh, Tom Shema Kabura. And, um, and it, they, the studies were phony baloney studies. They would last like three months duration. And the last I checked, you know, pregnancies last nine, 10 months. Yeah. You know, it, it just made absolutely no sense. And there was no short-term, long-term, none, no clinical trials on this whatsoever. And this is also a totally new vaccination platform. The mRNA vaccines encased in lipid nanoparticles had never been used, had never been used in a, in a population-wide experiment, especially with pregnant women with developing babies on, you know, inside. And, and so I feared for, you know, the, the usual pregnancy outcomes uh, that you would test uh, for something like a prenatal shot. And that would be miscarriages, uh, what's called spontaneous abortion, which would be a, uh, uh, prior to uh, 20 weeks gestation, and then stillbirth, which would be after 20 weeks gestation age. And, um, and when you look at the CDC's own monitoring system, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, those were jumping off the charts. The rates of miscarriages all of a sudden eclipsed all of the rest of the vaccines and the schedule combined for the 32-year history of that database. You know, all of a sudden we had more COVID-19 miscarriages, uh, vaccine miscarriages, than the rest of the database combined. And so it was, you know, it was like, it was, it, my fears were confirmed very, very early on. And plus, we don't know, you know, we don't know about the mutagenicity. We don't know about the teratogenicity. We don't know about insertional effects, insertional mutations that would be associated with, um, we knew that the lipid nanoparticles did accumulate in the ovaries. So what are we doing with, uh, with eggs? You know, are, are there insertional mutations associated with that messenger RNA and DNA contaminants? 
And, you know, and so as a scientist and, and somebody that knows a lot about molecular genetics, my mind was spiraling with all the possibilities of adverse events that are associated with it that now we're seeing ramified. Right. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we're not going to know the full um, ramifications of this for decades, for decades. No. We won't know. I mean, as far as, you know, what the effects are going to be on infertility, on infertility from those babies, you know, that... Um, in utero, we, we don't know, and we won't know for a quite some time. So it's it's really just so disturbing to think about. And those lipid nanoparticles, like you said, do go uh, directly into and accumulate in the ovaries. And, and that is just something that I I can't understand how the OB, we, they got the OBs to go along with it. No, no, it's it's very, it's, it's nefarious at best. And oh, exactly. And unfortunately, you know, I think there was such a, there was such a monetization of healthcare during COVID-19. I mean, you, you know, you get, you get this, the hospitals get this much money for a patient with COVID, this much money for a patient with COVID on remdesivir, on a vent, in ICU. And, you know, monetization was, you know, vaccination was no stranger to that either. And so, you know, I think a lot of people were incentivized to give this dangerous, untested product to pregnant women. And, you know, and I did not expect to see that many bats on back studies for the COVID-19 shot. I thought, oh, it's going to be too early. But we were able to feature several, um, several pregnancy outcomes and also fertility outcomes um, in, in the book, you know, there was one study in particular that showed a decrease in male fertility. Uh, or in men who receive the COVID-19 shot, you know, decreases in sperm count, sperm, viable sperm count, sperm motility, you know, those parameters. Um, and then an, another thing that happened in the CDC's various database is fertility problems in general jumped through the roof. The reports of these were 10 times higher than the rest of the history of VAERS combined. Wow. And you know, it's really important to note that VAERS is a drastically underreported system. I mean, that's capturing only about 1% of right. the data. So when we look at it from that perspective, we can see that this is catastrophic. It really is. And, and I, I think we've only seen the tip of the iceberg. Um, and and I'm, I'm working diligently to get my hands on data so we can start to monitor and see what is the outcome for the children um, who are born to vaccinated uh, parents, who were born to vaccinated parents prior to conception, who were born to vaccinated mothers who uh, received uh, the vaccine prenatally. You know, I think that a lot of that now we're now these newborns are starting to um, get to the age where they could get developmental diagnoses. And, you know, and that, that causes a big fear to me, uh, as well as the insertional mutation effects of, you know, the messenger RNA plus DNA contaminants, you know, genetically, that's how we transform cells in the laboratory. That's how we get genetic material to go into the genomes, you know, when we're dealing with plant cells or mammalian cells or whatever, it, it was, it mimics very, very much the administration of the COVID-19 shots. 
It's just, it's just so incredible to me that they have gotten so many of, uh, you know, and it's like you said, the financial incentivization and then just the fear um, that they've gotten people to, to comply and go along with this. And uh, so, so many people, I, so many doctors that I've worked with over the years that I've had a great deal of respect for, I've really lost, I've lost so much respect for these physicians because it's, it's like, you know, you, you just have to wonder are they complicit? Is that why they're silent? Because they are complicit? Or is it because they just don't know any better when they should? And I always say to people, I will leave it to you to decide which of these two scenarios is more frightening to you, that they are complicit or that they don't know any better. Exactly. And and I think that there's, it's, we're getting to the point, the tipping point where you, it, they are without excuse, because so many of the people who did like early intervention for COVID-19 or medically, you know, from the, from the medical institutional perspective, they're burned to the stake, you know, you know, just for a ivermectin prescription. I was just reading, you know, about physicians in the state of Washington that were uh, disciplined by the medical boards because of one or two prescriptions of ivermectin mm -hmm. and, you know, and terminated by their institutions. And, you know, and I know of examples, even in our own health freedom community of people who are fighting the battle in, in the courts, you know, that are uh, having their medical license suspended. And, and it's just, you know, with, with those examples, um, it's almost like the medical establishment is telling the rest of them, you better fall in line Right. And follow the standard of care, regardless of whether it helps patients or not. But I would hope more than more people, and I do see more and more people starting to wake up. Uh, yeah, and you can only hope that I, at this point, you're, you're right. We're at that point where it's it's just so we're so far into it now. Like if you haven't opened your eyes, you're really without excuse at this point to be saying something, you know, you've got to be, I mean, cause they're, they're coming back. They're trying to do lockdowns again. They're trying to get us right. to mask and we can talk about the masking and how that doesn't uh, work. You know, masks do not work against aerosolized viruses, but yet people are so conditioned to believe that this is this is how to combat the virus. This is, you know, put your mask on and fall in line, lock down, you know, go the, the, the my favorite was the one way arrows in the grocery store. I don't know what your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your favorite absurdity of the, of the pandemic? That was mine. One way, you know, because I was going, I always found myself going the wrong direction on the grocery line. Oh, me too. Cause I'm a rebel by nature. So I was just, right, like, oh, right. <laughs> and, and even if I didn't intend it, it seemed like it just happened. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, yeah, the one way lines on the grocery store store, you know, I'm spreading COVID and I'm killing babies because I'm facing the wrong way in the grocery aisle. Right. I mean, of all of the absurdities and there were many, that was definitely my favorite. Um, but to talk about COVID-19, now let's talk back about the book. Um, what were some of the findings for, for COVID, uh, that you, that you came up with in the Vax, uh, Unvax book? Well, this is interesting because if you look at the COVID-19 era, there were there were papers published in, in 2021, 22, and 23 that we fe featured in the book. And these were true VATS on VATS studies. So I was surprised that there were so many of them. But boy, for cardiac adverse events, you know, we would look at uh, the Pfizer, the Moderna, um, also the Johnson & Johnson, also the AstraZeneca were all associated with cardiac adverse events, especially, you know, and what was especially studied were the Pfizer and the Moderna, where um, when, you, when you saw an individual who got both vaccines, 
their their risk of myocarditis would some sometimes jump, especially for adolescent and young adult males. Yes. That risk would jump by thirty times, or or three thousand percent increase in risk of having a, some type of severe cardiac adverse event, um, and and then ischemic stroke. Um, uh, cerebral infarction, which is very, very similar to ischemic stroke. Um, uh, again, you, you know, the spike protein, the spike protein clots blood. And so, you know, it was almost predictable when a spike protein interacts with a platelet, it activates the platelet that causes blood clotting in the circulatory system. So, you know, myocardial infarction, ischemic stroke, uh, deep vein thrombosis, uh, you know, uh, uh, there are other, other thrombotic diseases, uh, and then neurological diseases as well, really, really jumped off the charts. There was a, a um, a significant increased risk of Bell's palsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw that risk of Bell's palsy increase, especially, you know, it seemed to in, involve in this case, females more than males and especially females that were, uh, greater than age 65. Um, and then infectious, you know, problems like shingles, shingles incidents went up. And I think that especially in those individuals who are vaccinated and boosted, there was so much when you get boosters like that, especially with the COVID shot, you get what's called innate immune suppression and you're suppressing the innate arm of your immune system. And, and that causes these, these you know, chicken pots, variola, or, I'm sorry, varicella viruses or, or herpes zoster viruses that are laying dormant in the nerve ganglion. Uh, you know, you suppress your immune system through the COVID-19 shot. And then of course, shingles went up, you know, the risk of shingles following the COVID-19 shot was five times that of the unvaccinated. Yeah. And I was seeing so many things, you know, I, that I hadn't seen and I've been in, in healthcare a long time and I would start to see things that, you know, you just normally didn't see. Like I, I had never seen so many cases of like adult appendicitis or like strep right. throat and things in, in adults. Um, uh, RSV, I'd never seen RSV in adults, never in all of my career. And all of a sudden we, we just had this outbreak of adults with RSV. So I was seeing all of these things and, you know, my, I mean, my evidence is all anecdotal, of course, because I'm just, you know, when I had left bedside, I left the bedside after, you know, becoming uncomfortable with those protocols. I started working from home. I was doing uh, telephone triage nursing and I would get all of the phone calls and I would hear these things like about the, the cardiac issues and the blood clots and all of these things. And I started like keeping my own data because I couldn't believe, you know, what... I was seeing what I was hearing on these calls and that nobody else seemed to be talking about. It was a real problem for me. And I can remember, um, I was, I was okay for a while. And then they wanted me to recommend vaccination for everyone. And they wanted me to recommend it to children, but that, you know, not only that, Brian, they wanted me to use the word safe and defective period. We actually had a script. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We had a script and it said, um, you know, it's like if somebody calls and said, hey, should I get my child vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine? If we click on that question, we are, our scripted answer was, yes, it is safe and effective, period. 
And that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie because, I mean, number one, we would have no way of knowing that. We didn't have any long-term safety data. So yeah. right out of the gate, I'm like, this doesn't, this does not meet the standard for informed consent. And there was absolutely no way. And I resigned from my position the night after I took this phone call from this dad who was asking about this. And I refused to say it. I refused to say the word safe and effective. And I refused. I started talking about things like natural immunity and antibodies because he had already had COVID. Exactly. You know, I was like, so I started pushing that narrative on him. I mean, I was like, listen, I was like, it, he's got natural immunity. We, we we can talk about that. And I knew that I was going to get in trouble anyway, because all of these calls are recorded, you know, and I wasn't towing the line, but I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was like, I can't, I knew it was going to be just a matter of time. And these calls were going to be coming in more and more. And I was like, you know what? I can't do it. And I resigned from my position. I, I, I still can't believe I did it um, because I'm not the type to make a, a, a rash decision like that. I mean, I didn't have the financial provisions. I'm only a nurse, but I could not. I mean, it was a really difficult decision, but it was a clear choice. How can you, how can you go on doing this and, and potentially harming children and giving this type of advice to me, just, there was, there was no other alternative. Exactly. And, and I'm so glad, you know, and grateful that you would make that choice and that you went with the choice of integrity and looking at the woeful lack of testing there, there were not very many um, studies in the, in, that we could find on the COVID-19 vaccine for children because the approvals for children came later, you know, in the pandemic. But one of the things that was very, very evident was how under-tested they were and how under-tested you know, they were recommending boosters to, to children and they were recommending the original series of vaccines for children. And none of the children got COVID on either arms of the study. So they started to look at antibody levels and antibody titers, which really in, in a lot of ways, it, antibodies, their job is to tag pathogens, mm -hmm. but, you know, they don't correlate well with immunity at all. No, exactly. And to, you, like you said, children were not getting COVID and the survival rate, the, the, exactly. it was like 99.9815 or something percent um, survival rate, like children, it was virtually zero. It was the instance of death. So for, for them to be pushing in the absence of safety data, for them to be pushing this when these children are at negligible risk, this should be criminal. It is. It is absolutely criminal. And, and I believe that, you know, it's, it's so fortunate that the government overplayed their hand, because if you look at the compliance rates of babies now approved down to six months of age, yeah. just incredible. You look at the compliance rates of parents for those, those vaccines, they're very, very low. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that our message got out and that more and more parents were voting for their with their feed because it was such a mild illness. I was talking to pediatricians across the country and they'd say, yeah, you know, a child would get a little sniffle or maybe a low grade or something like that. And then they would directly recover. And, and from a biochemical standpoint, we know that children have less ACE2 receptors, which is the binding event for SARS-CoV-2 involves the ACE2 receptor and that they had much lower rates of ACE2 receptors on their cells. And so it made perfect biological sense. It made anecdotal sense, but yet, you know, vaccines are big business. Got to get everybody vaccinated, got to protect our children. And now it's on the CDC schedule.
Exactly. I, I just can't believe that we are here. And those relationships within the big pharma and FDA and CDC, they're all very incestuous relationships when you start digging into and looking at them. So it's not it's not hard to, to understand how the everything gets rubber stamped and, and pushed through. Um, but it, it's going to come down to the parents really being informed. I was never the type to tell people or encourage people not to vaccinate their children. And I didn't feel comfortable doing that early on in this fight. But I've honestly gotten to the point where I am. T- I, I see pregnant women and I'm like, please don't vaccinate your child. Like I just come right out and say it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, because somebody has to, because somebody has to. And if that has to be me, and, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm telling them, but I'm bo- mostly telling them, just please do your own research and don't yeah. rely on the doctors. Don't rely on the pediatricians. Please do your own research and I will give them the resources that they need. I don't want to, I mean, at the end of the day, as nurses, we are to support autonomy. So I'm going to support whatever decision they made, but I have to support informed decisions. And if we're not giving them the information, then they really don't have a choice. Exactly, exactly. And informed consent went out the window. Yeah. You know, originally the vaccine packet inserts for the COVID-19 shots were blank. You know, you'd fall out and you'd have like a three by five foot piece of paper that was blank on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was no vaccine packet insert. And so informed consent was non-existent. So it's incumbent on people like you, uh, you know, other medical professionals really to provide that level of education because they're not going to get it from the federal government. They're not going to get it from the CDC. You know, these are captured agencies. They work for big pharma. I hate to say it, but it's that clear. Um, And so, you know, um, good for you for, for being able to stand up, you you know, you, you count the cost, you count the cost with your career and your livelihood. And, And I so appreciate that Kimberly. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been quite the journey, but you know, I wouldn't do a single thing differently. I felt very called to this fight and you know, I'm I'm going to keep on and you know, I think we're we're starting to make a real difference all of us coming together and realizing, you know, that this fight, it is a big fight. And I know you know because you've been in it for a long time and it's so much bigger than any one, you know, organization, any one individual. And the only way that we win is by coming together and collaborating and doing what needs to be done, but you know, we have to understand that we can't do it alone. We just can't. No, we can't. And I see organizations coalescing and working together, collaborating. Um, I see individuals coming together and collaborating. And, and people really, you know, in the health freedom movement are questioning the science. You know, we were told throughout this pandemic that somehow we were tra- to trust the science, which is the most unscientific statement I think yes. I've ever heard. Same. You know, don't trust science, you test science. Mm-hmm. Don't trust science, test it, question it. Yep. And, um, and so I'm so thankful to be surrounded by so many colleagues that are coming together in different organizations and, and really co- coalescing and asking some tough questions. I mean, they're going back, there are lots of medical professionals that are going back to a history where, yeah, they vaccinated lots of children and lots of adults, but now they're looking at, they're looking beyond the veneer and they're starting to see, yeah, you know, this, this was a problem. This is an endemic problem. It wasn't just a COVID-19 shot. It's, you know, it's something bigger and unfortunately much more insidious. 
Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, we, we are running out of time and I, I'm going to have to have you back on because I really don't think that there's any shortage of uh, incredible topics that we could delve into. I'm so thankful to you, your hard work, your dedication and everything that you have done in this fight and continue to do. You're making such a difference. And like I said, you have been so influential in me and my, uh, my fight and with what I'm doing. So I just truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything that you do. You are so welcome, Kimberly. It was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you for including me. Absolutely. And that's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern with a different nurse host daily. You can also catch the Encore at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to tune in and listen to myself and my amazing sister nurses. As we walk you through all of these hot topics, we will empower you with information and education. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern as I hand off the baton to Nurse Michelle. We are in a war for truth. We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness. It's time.